Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And with us today, Logan, he was with you down in Mobile, uh, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, somehow making his podcast debut. Sam, one of the hardest to schedule men in the entire (laughs) D.C. media sphere. But we did it. The, I, I appreciate you guys having me. It's funny. Uh, I did a, a hit with Logan down in Mobile, and he he suggested a, a similar thing. It's certainly not my intention to be the reputation uh, as a hard-to-schedule guy, but I'm glad that we finally made it happen. I'm, I'm super excited to chop it up with you guys. Yeah. He's just uh, big-time, Craig. He just big-times. He <laughs> says, oh, I got, a, I got an agent I got to talk to. I got a coach I got to talk to. You're like, oh, I know where I'm at in the hierarchy. Well, and I think that's what he does here, too. It's okay. I got you. I mean, He's got to do his job, so there is that. You got to do what you got to do, man. I get you, you know? Like. If, you know, I, I didn't play 10 years in the league, so I got to get information other ways because I can't – I'm not as good I mean, as you're just assume, sitting there. You're assuming, I, you're assuming I get information. I just kind of <laughs> hang out down there and just shoot the <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> All right, so uh, today on the show, we will rev- or review these two guys' week in Mobile. Um, I, I also had a weekend trip, but I was just in Charlottesville, Virginia, do whatever I wanted. So I don't really Dude, have I was intel. in Charlottesville, too, at the airport. I know that airport really well. Oh, wait. Had had two five hour layovers there. So I know the whole airport now. Why did Got you it. connect in Charlotte? That's OK. That's, we need to talk about that. Not that's on. Maybe yep. that's a radio show. Topic. <laughs> I didn't even know there was an airport in Charlottesville. Dude, that's where I was at. Crushing it. <laughs> I uh we we drove so it wasn't I I wouldn't have seen you um but anyway the point is these guys were in Mobile at the Senior Bowl um what I guess Sam I'll start with you like what's your top line item from like non commanders just the week in general what's kind of the big story for you coming out of the Senior Bowl yeah I think it was a little bit of a, a down year in terms of star power uh in, in terms of top end talent at the Senior Bowl I don't think that there was you know the clear cut guy guys that there maybe were last year um but i think there was was some good depth there and i think that there was uh some positions to like uh particularly i mean like you said not necessarily for the commanders but i thought the offensive line groups the running back groups uh were pretty strong uh the linebacker group i think was the weakest the quarterbacks were were pretty weak uh but that's sort of just my general overview of of what we saw in mobile in terms of on-field talent yeah, I always laugh when it's like, oh, this is a strong draft or a weak draft. I'm like, it's strong positions you need. It's a strong draft. Screw everybody else. Right. Um, Logan, I feel like that's kind of what we talked about last week, too, is like the the positional strength in this draft is 
in great alignment with what Washington ultimately, especially early, is going to be looking for. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the offensive line, um, I think that that was probably the strongest group. That and, like, the um, defensive line edge rusher group is very strong. Like, I know uh, Sam mentioned probably not the top end, but you'll probably see three dudes from the defensive line get drafted potentially at the bottom of the first. You might see three or four dudes from the offensive line kind of in that first, second round area. So that group's pretty deep. I'd say receiver was pretty down. Cornerback was pretty down. Um, you know, there were some linebackers there that I think have some ability, but the general devaluation of the linebacker position is probably not going to bode very well for that group getting picked very high. Um, but yeah, I'd say, I, I'd say, the star power there was in the offensive and defensive line groups. I'm trying to think if there's anybody I'm forgetting. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of generally what I would agree with overall, you know, in terms of, like, big themes. Uh, obviously, some people stood out in the wide receiver group, like the kid from Stanford did an excellent job um, and probably made himself a lot of money, but because of his injury history in college, probably not going to get into that second-round group. Maybe he will, who knows. But that's kind of what you're dealing with, with, with the people that were there, kind of a bunch of – I don't want to say misfit toys, but guys that are looking to kind of establish themselves, you know, and, and receiver generally is just down this year, but you know, none of those top corners were there. None of the, you know what I'm saying? So just a little bit kind of different vibe at the senior bowl this year. Yeah. There's always guys though, that do kind of make that leap, that jump where it's like, Oh, that was maybe a, a second round guy. Now he's mm. being talked about middle of the first or whatever it may be, you know, yeah. late round guy who's now talking about a second round pick. Who are some of the movers, shakers for both of you guys? Logan, I'll let you start. Who are some of the movers and shakers this week for, you know, really helping themselves or, you know, if anybody really hurt themselves this week? Yeah, let's, I mean, let's just start with the positive, like the offensive lineman in particular. I, I think a guy that really stuck out to me was Darnell Wright. Uh, you know, he was a guy that when I watched his film, I was kind of like, you should be being talked about as a first round selection. And everyone kind of had him in that, like, you know, that big board that everyone talks about in that 50 to 60 kind of range. And um, I just didn't feel like that jived. And then after this week, you're starting to see people kind of mock him at the bottom of the first, which feels right, which feels kind of more in line with what his tape was showing. So I don't know if he's a riser, but I think the the media is kind of being aware of him a little bit more. Obviously, um, the kid from Ohio State, Dewan Jones, is a guy that played one day of practice but was very dominant in that day. And so, again, a guy that was probably – you know, kind of mid-second round, slowly creeping up people's boards. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But those two guys for sure help themselves. And in the offensive line group, a guy that I'd say hurt himself a little bit would probably be the kid from BYU, Blake Freeland. Um, big, tall kid, kind of played in an outside zone system in college and just had a really hard time uh, kind of anchoring versus bull rushes and stuff. And so that, to me, showed up on his film. So not really a mover or a riser for me. But I know PFF had them at, had had him as their fourth-rated tackle. So to me, after this week, those other two guys probably jump. Maybe the kid from Syracuse also jump him. So to me, now he's the seventh or eighth best, best tackle in the group. And I think those other guys just did a really nice job kind of showing themselves to be uh, really dominant, uh, you know, kind of NFL starting caliber players, I guess. Yeah, to echo Logan, I think the, his note about Dewan Jones and, and Darnell Wright uh, were pretty good. Those guys are both huge guys. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Darnell is 6'5", is Dewan Jones 6'8", uh, both, you know, 340-plus. Uh, one guy that, that stuck out to me, particularly if, if Washington, you know, really does commit to this run-first approach, which I'm still skeptical of, but I think a, a riser, um, and, and not that he was uh, – rated low, you know, for a center to coming in, but John Michael Schmitz, the, the Minnesota center. I thought, yeah. I thought he played really well, especially in the run game. I think Logan, you and I talked about him being able to reach shades. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, and you know, just really show his dominance in the run game. I, I talked to him and he joked that Minnesota ran like 80% of the time last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that he would fit in really well schematically, probably not, obviously not a, a first round pick when you're talking about positional value of, of center. Uh, but, you know, in the second or third, um, you know, maybe, maybe third is a risk, but I, I think that's sort of the range that you're talking about for him. And he, he's a little bit, he's not Tyler Larson size, uh, you know, but I think he's like the, the West Schweitzer, um, kind of size as well. And then guys that hurt, uh, help themselves. I think that people liked Julius Brents, the, the corner out of Kansas state. He was uh, a little longer, uh, six, three, two Oh two. Uh, this DBs group wasn't, wasn't super, uh, talented. I don't think that, uh, people were, were very high on them, but I had a conversation, a couple of conversations with people who were like, you know, if we're looking, you know, later in the draft, that guy mm-hmm. with his size, you know, we think we could coach him up. Um, I think that he's a guy that that helped himself. The guys that hurt themselves or hurt themselves. Uh, Logan mentioned Matthew Bergeron, the the Syracuse offensive lineman. I don't think he had uh, a great week. Um, and- Sam, you're just, you don't have to prove that you're not biased. <laughs> well, I was gonna say it's a little disappointing. Um, I, I mean, think he was fine. I think that's the thing. It's like people – the senior bowl is funny in this way. Sorry to cut you off, Sam. It's no, like no, no. Julius Brents, for example, right? His tape is kind of middle like middle of the road to below average, right? He comes in, he has his, the first day of one-on-ones, he crushed it. Then uh, he kind of gets in the, in the narrative. He gets in the sphere of conversation. And then the next two days were not very good. So you know what I mean? So it's like he had one excellent day, two kind of average days – that I feel like more aligned with the film, right? That that is there, and I think the same thing happened with Matthew. Like Matthew had a bad day, and then he had two good days, but he kind of misses the the media kind of narrative for the week, right? Does that make sense? What I'm saying, like it's you're really saying, I'm caught up in the narratives. No, 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 no. I'm just saying generally, <laughs> like like if you you're saying that you step, have a first impression and you're susceptible to it because if you like, because we're back, human and that's how it works. If you just take a step back and say like that's what happened, like everyone says, oh, this guy's looking good, and then it kind of but like think about Dewan Jones is a perfect example. He practiced one day and he missed the rest of the West, and everybody was talking about Dewan Jones even on the third day. So like. It, I don't. I just think there is like this momentum, this inertia associated with the Senior Bowl that, and this confirmation bias that comes in. I think oftentimes. So, in terms of guys that played well, like no one's talking about Tyler Steen from Alabama. No one's talking about Matthew Bergeron because they were consistent. They just they didn't do anything wow. But like those are two starting caliber players in the NFL, and I think they showed that. Now they didn't have the Dewan Jones measurement. They didn't have um, you know the the Daryl Wright kind of pancake block and one-on-one you know that none of that showed up but in terms of consistent play that's where it's hard to kind of I think distinguish from like the stuff that PFF puts out every hour there right in terms of promoting narratives and promoting guys and like I don't know that, that I just wanted to bring that up just as a, as a point in general the senior bowl is funny in that way because it does kind of get this inertia for certain guys that come out really hot but did they perform that much better than other people there I don't know well, and that yeah, can carry through the whole draft process, too. Absolutely. Like, I, I think, you know, a couple of years ago when Baker went one overall, like he comes to the Senior Bowl late. Everyone, it's super flashy. It's like, oh, my God, Baker's here. He yeah. dominates the week. He was incredible yeah. all week. He has a great combine. He goes out and throws well. Um, and then he winds up going number one overall. Would he have anyway based off the tape because his tape was really good? I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy. Um, maybe, but there there is some of that, I think, that does care. It, like, it starts at the Senior Bowl, um, and I know uh, Jim Nagy's probably like, yeah, good job, Craig. The Senior Bowl, or the, the draft starts in Mobile. It's their whole slogan, right? But it starts in Mobile and then can carry throughout this entire process if a guy has a good process, good interviews, good workouts, all that kind of stuff. 
And I, I, I do like to kind of take a step back on, on Logan's point. I do think with the PFF putting things out every hour, like since the draft shifted to prime time, which I think was like 2010, obviously like the coverage of the draft, the winners and losers, the tendency to say, Hey, you know, who's helping themselves, who's hurting themselves at, at every point. Um, you know, it's, it's three months basically until the, until the draft. And I think that that sort of lends itself to people not overthinking necessarily, but sometimes overthinking sometimes, uh, you know, saying, Oh, we, this person's got to move. This person's got to shake. Uh, it's sort of like that Eli Apple year where, where an anonymous Mm. scout was like, he can't cook. And like people made that into a referendum on whether he could play football. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, (laughs) yeah. Now that you mention it, but it's just, uh, I think one of the hardest things about the draft and I've been covering the league for three years. and, And so I'm still like, you know, trying to parse this out, but figuring out what is good information, what is bad information, mm. you know, because obviously, you know, when you talk about draft analysis, sometimes there are guys that you can tell like, oh, you know, this agent's in their ear because he's talking up all their clients. You got, uh, you know, certain scouts and obviously like uh, opinions are so different, not just from team to team, but like from scout to scout, from GM yeah. to GM. And I think it's hard sometimes to, to peg, you know, where is this guy? And obviously, you know, you look at, you refer back to the film, but the amount of time, the amount of opinions, the amount of attention that's focused on the draft can can make it hard to really pin down like sure. through this fluctuating process. No, I think that's absolutely right. And I think the the Senior Bowl is kind of a microcosm of that. And I think it's uh, it's a really fun event. I think it's it's got a lot of benefits, you know, in terms of being able to see, you know, a guy like Dewan Jones go against elite pass rushers, you know, and just see how his length um, and his size and how his foot speed kind of matches up, not on like once a game type of a thing but once every couple of minutes you get to see oh this guy's probably gonna be a first round defensive end how does he match up oh he dominated that rep oh this is him in 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 team like blocking a three you know what i mean like all those things are so important to your evaluation because it says kind of checks this big box of saying he can do it against better talent but it is i think it's really interesting to come out of the week and the other thing that was interesting is i had a couple conversations with people about the dbs right and I, what I found was like, to your point, like Julius Brent's had a really good day, right? And then I talked to the uh, gentleman and he was just like, oh, I haven't watched this film yet, but he's my favorite guy here. And I'm like, that is really, you know, like obviously favorite for the day, but is it once you watch them and kind of digest the tape and kind of figure out what's going on, is he still your favorite guy? That would be my question. And then that, that's what's hard about this process, because if you talk to a coach while you're down there, they haven't watched any of the DBs yet. If you walk to, watch talk to a regional scout, they haven't watched half those guys, right? If you talk to an agent, they're going to plug their guy, right? So it's really an interesting environment in terms of getting and gleaning information and like what's real. Like you talked to talk to a couple guys from PFF, and I was like, so what do you think of so-and-so? He's like, well, I haven't watched him. And I was like, why? Well, because his brother's bad in the NFL. I'm like, is that a good reason not to watch a guy? You know, and yeah. and this guy's a, a, a big, big person in PFF. So that's where that's why the it's fun it's really fun to be down there but you always got to kind of circle back and say what is the what is the film saying how is this what this guy's saying jive with my perspective on the film and how is this guy's performance jiving with the film right so for example there's a kid from uh i forget um the game cox i forget his name at the moment south but, carolina yes yeah, oh carolina. Uh, darius the the corner yeah he had a really good week. So I'm like, I'm going to go watch his film. And his film was not that exciting. So what about that environment in Mobile allows him to speak up? Is it a defensive scheme change? Is it the fact that it's simple? Is it the fact that they're just running straight one-on-ones and he's more of a man guy and was asked to play more zone in college? That's where that evaluation gets a little wonky, in my opinion, because everyone comes out saying, oh, we had a really good week of practice. But how do you 
kind of weigh that with the film and then the interview process and all that kind of stuff. So I got on a little tangent there, but I think that that is why Mobile is fun. No, no it's, it's really important. Go ahead, Sam. I, well, I was going to say, and I think the other component of this, and it's hard, you know, in the, in the limited time, but I think a lot of teams, it's the vibe check of the prospect yeah. and, and, and how, you know, is this guy going to, you know, be a good fit for, for our locker room, for our culture. And like, you know, the, the name that sticks out to me because he has such a big personality is, is Cody mock, the North Dakota state kid <laughs> who played left tackle bumped inside. He played all five spots at, at the senior yeah. bowl. And, and, you know, I don't think he looked, you know, great at any of them, but I think that's okay. Coming from, you know, FCS, stepping up but he has a great personality and maybe that's just for the media he has like no front teeth uh you know he's always spiking the ball after touchdowns like and he has like this very long red hair, red hair. so obviously like i gotta you know i i'm Say naturally both of you. like <laughs> both of you might as well go one one overall right exactly <laughs> if uh if we were the gm of the co-gms of the commanders for sure uh but uh, you know and there are obviously some guys where, where you say okay you know, does this guy, is he going to fit? Did he clash with his coaches? And and so I think that that's probably the other more underrated part. And you'll get more of it probably at the combine, mm. uh, but just the vibe check on guys, I think is super key. Yeah. And, and I think that's also a huge information exchange type of place as well. Right. Cause that's something that I remember from the senior bowl from combine from my days on the beat is like, you start to hear, it's like, well, why doesn't this guy have more buzz? And it's like, well, because his coach thinks he's a moron. And you're like, oh, well, he's he's probably not going to be great in the NFL if he's not that smart, um, you know, football IQ wise or, or whatever the, the thing may be. Or like, no, you know, hey, he's not having a he's not a great workout guy, but um, the tape is good and he's the hardest worker they've ever seen. And you start to hear some of that stuff. And some of that is, you know, uh, as you said, Logan, it's kind of planted, if you will, whether it's an agent or whether the college coaches have someone's ear. Um, you know, there's a good relationship between a pro coach and a college coach. They're trying to protect someone, whatever the media narrative is. Ultimately, we don't know what's, Sam, going back to kind of your original point, what's good information or bad information until draft day. Because mm -hmm. they're not, they're not going to, you know, draft on bad information um, or the, you know, stuff they put out is like distractions. And then even then, like, okay, that told us what they were thinking at the time. We still don't know how it's going to play out. That takes, you know, sometimes it takes a year. Sometimes it takes five. Sometimes it takes 10 to yeah. see whether or not that, that information they were acting upon that they thought was good information was actually good information in, in terms of its correctness. So it is a very multi-stage process. And it is why, you know, this process kind of exists as opposed to just being like, all right, NFL season's over. We've got all the tape. What what do we need? You know, what do we need more time for? Okay, we'll give a little time for the coaches to watch it. But we don't need we don't need to do interviews. We don't need to do workouts. Like we have the tape. It's like, no, there's there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it to from a workout standpoint, put guys on the same playing field in in like in a you know, something like the senior bowl, literally the same playing field, or at the combine, the same workout, you know, in terms of metrics and things like that. And then obviously the information, the medicals that happen in Indy are super important. Um, a lot of people will tell you that's actually the most important thing that happens in Indianapolis at the Combine is the medicals. So it's it's very multifactorial, although, you know, Logan, kind of what you were saying, there's only so far it should stray from the tape because that's at the end of the day what they got to do is go out and play football. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point. Like I was talking with somebody about um, the Maryland left tackle, you know, and he's super inconsistent on tape like he's you know one play he's got the best play of all time and then the next play it's like he gets beat by like some guy who's pumping gas you know next year whatever it is you know what i'm saying so and then i had a conversation with someone say like i had an interview with him and basically what he said is like i get him now and i was like oh so is that a good thing he's like 
don't know if it's a good thing, but I just understand him more now, you know? And so kind of to your point, just kind of fleshing out that process, getting more information, kind of saying, maybe this is why he is this way. Is this a correctable thing? It wasn't like he came out of the interview saying, oh, like, I love this guy. It was like, I get it. And I think there is something like an empathy there that these events afford you, right? Because people don't understand that, like, you have practice at the senior, but but they also have interviews, right? It's yeah, like a big a interview process that gets into all these players. So um, understanding the guy, understanding how he fits. Like, I remember I was talking with a coach, a guy that I used to work with when I was in Atlanta, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, half the reason I interview a guy is just to see if I'm compatible with him, you know, if I would like to coach him. And because I think when you get really down to it, like I'm doing DBs right now and all the DBs from the senior bowl were kind of like we talked about, kind of so-so. They're probably like fourth round and below. You might get a couple guys, probably two guys that might sneak into the second, third round area. But on the whole, they're kind of lower guys. But when you come to those decisions, it's like, can I develop this guy? Can I build a relationship with this guy? Can I communicate with this guy? And that's where that those interviews become extremely significant because it's like oh shoot like i'd rather coach this guy and who am i going to spend more time investing in developing as a guy that i like you know so that's another really important element of these events and to your point logan i think i had a conversation with the gm who said that he like when he talks to his scouts like in the war room before the draft you like there he thinks that if you put on the tape and you say oh you know i want these three receivers in this order you can yeah. talk to another scout who you respect just as much, and he has the receivers in a different order. And so he talked about, like, it's important for him, to for, for his scouts to tier guys. Okay, you know, mm. this guy is clearly tier one, and that's fine, but these three receivers, that's tier two. Like, I'm happy if we end up with either of them. Because he thinks, like, if you start yes. ranking guys, then you can, you can say, oh, you know, you can take that personal, like, oh, this scout has this guy ranked ahead of my guy, so I need to fight for my guy. But if you put it in tiers – it, he thinks it, it minimizes the ego in the room to say, okay, we generally are on the same page about this guy. And if we end up with your guy or my guy, we're still ending up with, with what we see as an equal talent. Right. Well, I think that's a really good point. Like, even last year with Brian Robinson and like Tyler Algiers, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were probably the same tier. So if you end up with Tyler Algiers or Brian Robinson, does it affect the outcome? Like, are they going to become different pros? And obviously that's an unknowable thing, but at least they're, they're kind of grouped pre uh you know preseason in that way so when it comes to that time and you know b rob's not on the board or tyler algiers is on the board you say okay this is the way we're going to go and they're from the same pool it's kind of what i did with the old line this year and it makes it so much easier you're pretty much giving them like can this guy start in the nfl is he a backup and then kind of go from there and it makes it instead of ranking one two three four five it just makes the process so much easier because they're kind of from the same pool so you're kind of saying oh in in the second round, if Washington's picking a line, there's four guys here that I think fit the bill. And and then it becomes a little bit less taxing if Dewan Jones gets drafted ahead or Darrell Smith gets drafted ahead because there's still two more guys at 16 that are in that same sphere, which I think is a really another really good point. And another reason why the Senior Bowl is so important because you get to kind of see it with your eyes and say, these guys aren't that far. If I had to go, if I had to rank them, I'd put these two guys ahead. But there's not that not that this huge gap between these four players or whatever. And I think that even goes back to like I that's why I think the GM, you have to, like your primary job is to process and wait all these different all this different information in like the best way possible. You gotta listen to your doctor about the medical, you gotta listen to the scout about the tape, you gotta talk to the data guys about the analytics. And and like how does that all fit together? And how do we say, okay, like this this pick, like this is the guy that we think 
has the highest upside or the highest floor or whatever you're looking for. But like, and, and what I, uh, profiled Martin Mayhew when they first hired him. I know he's not the ultimate decision maker, but that was the thing that people talked about him, you know, being a consensus builder, being a, you know, be able to weight mm. all the different information. Um, not that Marty Herney is, is not like that or not that some of these other GMs are like that, but I think that is probably the most important skill, like in the same way that the head coach, you know, you need, you know, you need a leader, a guy that can fire people up. But um, I think that is, you know, the number one skill. Yeah, the uh, the tiers are great uh, for that, and I know uh, some of the, the the old front office in Washington, some of the folks there kind of thought that way. They had colors, and Logan, I think we talked about that on the last podcast too. Like you had your greens, your blues, your reds, yeah. well, however it is, whatever color system teams use. Terrible for sports talk radio. You need very definitive <laughs> rankings for sports talk radio, but for actual scouting, uh, that's the tiers are nice.